Welcome to the podcast Studio Staying, Inspiring Leadership. I learned in my life the importance of being inspired by others and to be surrounded by people who bring you new insights and perspectives. That is the way to grow as a leader and human being in challenging and changing times. In these podcast series, I bring you the latest innovations on personal development and leadership told from business managers, CEOs, spiritual leaders, and people who live their true story. So David Gershon is the co-founder and the CEO of the Empowerment Institute in the United States. And he has been called the number one expert on social change. The Empowerment Institute, founded in 1981 by David Gershon and Gail Straub, has been a global leader for four decades in applying behavioral change, community empowerment, and transformative social change mythologies to address humanity's greatest challenges and opportunities. A major academic research study has described their mythologies as unsurpassed and changing behavior. He has been working with all major companies all over the world, like Coca-Cola, Unilever, American Express, and many, many more. And over the past four decades, the initiatives he has designed have won many awards and achieved much recognition. David is the author of 12 books, including the award-winning Social Change 2.0, a blueprint for reinventing our world, and the best-selling empowerment, the art of creating your life as you want it. He has lectured at Harvard, MIT, and John Hopkins, and served as an, as an advisor to the White House and the United Nations on empowerment and second-order change. David has dedicated his life to empowering humanity to believe we can create a world of our dreams and designing the strategies and tools to help us make this a reality. So, wow, David, I'm sure I missed a lot of things in, in this introduction, and I hope I do honor to all the work that you have been doing because you have inspired me with your books. I use a lot of uh, the, the mythologies that, that you have described in my own practice as a coach. So very pleased and very honored to have you in. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Mm. So, David, uh, Maybe a first question, just what was for you when you were a child in your childhood, the most important memory that changed your life? What was the track, the, the trigger that put you on the, on the path of change and transformation? Hmm. Well, I would say it began when I was in college, not so much my childhood, but my child, my college years. Um, it was the time when the Beatles were starting to get into meditation. Mm. So that's a time way of dating me a little bit. And um, and they were aspiring for enlightenment. They were aspiring to know God. They were aspiring to have a deeper sense of, of what the reason of our existence is. Mm. And that, that was this time that I awoken. I had awakened, if you will, to... Yeah. A spiritual quest and my spiritual whoops hold on a bit just a second um my spiritual quest was was more than knowing god it was it was expressing on earth the mm -hmm. highest aspirations for what humanity can be 
and feeling that spirit and trying to embody that spirit. And uh, that led to a kind of a, a major sort of turning point where I said, well, how does one grow? What's the process by which, can, which one can evolve to a higher quality of life, a higher and better state of being, higher level of consciousness? Mm -hmm. And I realized that what was out there at that time were very prescriptive paths, spiritual paths generally, and also pathologically oriented healing modality, mm -hmm. modalities where, you know, what's wrong and how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in more of the question, what's possible and how to create it. And that really has been my quest. What is possible and how to create it? And all the things that you've referenced in my bio have come out of that question. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what was for you the, the, the moment that you that you realized this um, change of, and it's not the pathologies, we don't go into the past, but rather we, we look um, life as a point of, for the future creation. Did you remember that moment? Did you remember it? That's a good question. Uh, well, I found healing work. Mm. Sorry for those, this may sound a little pejorative, but I found it um, not very interesting to me. Um, I wanted not to just fix things or make myself not feel something that was painful from the past. And the same thing with social change. Mm -hmm. I was always sort of drawn to opening my imagination into the possible for my life. So my vision was much bigger than the modalities that were around mm -hmm. to either heal our past or heal our world. And so it, to me, it began to be this conversation, not what's wrong and how to fix it, but what's possible and how to create it. One was defined by the problem and the other was defined by our imagination. And I am a person of imagination. So I was drawn to the creative aspect of this. Mm. And I found as I started doing that work that it was much more attractive to people. And what I found also that if you go for what you want, the things that you have to transform to get there come up automatically and you transform them along the way on the path to getting something that is trying to make your life better or the world better. Mm -hmm. So it's a much more efficient use of your time, mm -hmm. but it demands that you have a vision of the possible, which of course mm -hmm. is the work that we do with empowerment and mm -hmm. our social change work. What, what, what have you seen in your career? Because you, you have been working for many, many years. What is the, the biggest obstacle for people not to not wanting to engage in, in the imagining into the creating but rather holding on to i am not complete yet so i need to be healed and i need i need more healing and first fixing myself and all my past lives rather than taking the perspective of the future and and imagining like you say what what is the biggest obstacle have you I think it's just lack of knowing that there is a better way or a way that you can move forward rather than just trying to fix things. Yeah. Some people feel the pain and they want to alleviate the pain. So that's real. And sometimes there is very, you know, deep and important things that one has to work on. So it's not to suggest that that's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. It's just that you can move through things a lot faster if you know where you want to go rather than just being defined by what the problem was. 
And for lack of imagination, that's where people tend to leave, li mm -hmm. live it's in their it's in their past. They don't really know mm -hmm. how to move into the future. And for some, it's scary to move into the future. Um, you know, the unknown is is not a comfortable place for them. For me, it's it's an exciting place because I can discover. But for some, that's just not how they're oriented, mm -hmm. or at least how they're programmed. They may be willing to go there, but they've just been programmed in other ways and they haven't questioned their programming. So how how have you found out yourself? You said, I, I like the unknown. What happened in your life that you would that you never would have expected? Never would have expected. I don't know that I would work with the question that way. Um, mm. I would say what I've discovered in my life is that life is an adventure. Mm. And when life is an adventure, then um, one is just open to the mystery and what's possible. Mm. I mean, every one of my dreams is so big that expectation is a complicated word for me because I create reality based on expectation. And so the more that I'm willing to go into the most, uh, the largest visions of the possible, the more I build expectation that those are more possible. So I kind of hang out and I'm probably a little bit further down the path than sort of your average listener because I've been doing this so long. An occupational hazard of doing empowerment work is you get quite empowered and your dreams get bigger and bigger. And now my dreams are globally, are global scale dreams, mm. uh, globally oriented. So um, I work with expectation as a tool. Mm. And the, the more that I work with expectation, the more I use it to manifest because I understand that expectation is part of how the manifestation process works. So if I expect something, then I can manifest it. If I don't expect it, then I will not manifest it. Mm -hmm. So a, a different twist on the idea of unexpected. Mm -hmm. can, can you elaborate a little bit on your mythology that you that, that you work with when, when you do this behavioral change with, with leaders within companies? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? How, how, do, how do you work and what is the main well, mythology? I, I, I'm not doing as much work in organizations these days because mm -hmm. it's mainly working on sort of global issues. But when I was doing a lot of work with global uh, companies of one sort or another, what I would focus on is what do they want? Mm -hmm. What is your desired outcome? Not here's a tool and this can help you. Let me help you figure out what's wrong and here's a tool that can fix it. I would ask them, what do they want? Um, and particularly, I would say, what would be the new behaviors you want to see adopted by the people who work in this company? And not sort of selling a product or selling a, a tool, but rather uh, a transformational journey mm -hmm. to get from where they are to that desired state. And so the starting point would be, what do they want? And then what do they need the people who work in that company to be able to do to get there? And then I work them through these four steps of the empowerment process. So where are you now? Like, you know, when I worked with a large company, Deloitte, they were looking to grow their talent. And the top leadership were not that skilled in growing talent. They were skilled in 
finding ways to bring value to companies that they were who have client they were clients but they weren't that skilled in growing talent that worked underneath them so that was a missing piece because if they couldn't grow their talent then they couldn't expand their capacity and grow their business so that was the area in which for example i did a lot of work on their talent strategy but it started with what are the new behaviors yeah. that you need to see in these individuals for them to be able to perform at the levels that you would like uh, to a senior leader. And then I'd build a strategy around that or the same thing with American Express. I mean, it would depend on what the company was trying to do. And because I wasn't selling an off the shelf turnkey thing, it was more profound because I could architect whatever was required to mm. produce the outcome based on the methodologies and the knowledge of how to transform organizations mm the cultures of organizations to make them more conducive to behavioral change. So you asked for a Blanco, a blank, a blank check, Blanco check. I, I asked for more than that. Mm -hmm. I asked for them to be willing to grow as mm -hmm. leaders. Yeah. I, are you willing to go to the most uncomfortable places? Not so much will you take your people there, but what will you do to get there? And if you're willing to go there, then you can role model it for others. But the places I'm going to ask you to go are your what we call your growing edges and the places that you are least competent and least um, confident and most vulnerable. And that's where the growing opportunities lie. And then we need to look at the culture that either enables or disables. And most mm -hmm. of the cultures do not enable that. What they actually have is a culture that is uh, not safe for learning and growing. Mm -hmm. So we do an analysis of the culture. And what we find on a scale of one to 10, most of them are somewhere between two and three. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, if you know about change strategies, I think 80% of them fail. They fail for reason, different reasons, but one of the most common is that the culture is not conducive to change. And so, by that, so, and by that you mean it's not safe to express uh, your your emotion no, or your vulnerability no, 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 or to I, show. I, there's a number of different pieces, but mm. let me say, yeah. using the analogy, the soil isn't fertile for growing. Mm. So there are about six different parameters that I use to evaluate that. Is there? I do you trust one another. Is it safe? Mm. Um, Is there any commitment to learning and growing? Is there a culture that allows for and encourages learning and growing for real, not just sort of lip service? Um, you know, is there a culture of self-responsibility? Do people take responsibility or are they afraid and they shirk it and they project onto others and go into the victim places? So there's a whole analysis that I do that helps evaluate the culturals. I call it the soil of the culture and how fertile it is for growing. And so there's work to be done there. So it's 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 a it's a multi-stage process. Um, it would take years to do take you know company through that process. Um, but when they get through it, they are transformed. Mm. So it's worthy if they wish to go on that journey. But mm. not that many companies have that predisposition, but many do. I just don't have the bandwidth anymore to spend that time doing it. But if people are interested, they can learn a little bit about the model. Uh, if they go to our empowermentinstitute.net um, website mm -hmm. and they go to organizational empowerment. And there mm -hmm. I have some articles written about some of that 
work mm -hmm. that I've done. But that's a, that's a very deep dive into the organizational empowerment work. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you. I, I would I would like to know what were for you the moments that uh, on your spiritual path and for your own personal development, the the moments that really were transformative for you. You have, you have these kinds of moments as well personally. You had those. A lot of my journey has been in the action stage of life. So I learn by doing, mm -hmm. and I I realize that I discover who I am by going after these dreams and where I fall short is where I find I have to grow. So again, it's a very distinct approach to growing. It's not just personal growth for the sake of personal growth, yeah. it's personal growth that allows me to be more skillful in making a better world. And one has to learn how to become skillful if one is a change agent or else one just, um, has a lot of frustration because changing mm -hmm. systems and cultures and the world is hard to do. So that's where I get the greatest transformations is the act of doing. And I find that where I have grown the most is spiritually because I go after big ideas that can't be done exclusively by a single person and even a group. It requires spiritual intervention with peace on earth. One of my goals right now by 2030 that's a spiritual intervention. So I'm inviting in wow. Wow. resources. Mm. That, that, that's a big goal. Peace on Earth by 2030. Yes. Can, can you tell us more? Uh, I'm very interested. <laughs> that's one of my journeys as well. So I would uh, definitely, I would really like to know how how you work on that. What, how do you put it in action? That is a great story. Okay, you ready to go on a ride? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> So the biggest adventure that I have been on to date was in 1986 at the height of the Cold War between Russia and America mm. at the time when we were most concerned that we would end up in a nuclear holocaust. Yeah. I ended up organizing an event that grew out of a whole series of prior experiences, which I won't go into right now, uh, where we passed a torch of peace around the world and we had engaged 25 million people, 45 heads of state, 62 countries, through the media, wow. a billion people participated or observed it. And wherever the torture piece went, all war stopped and the world was united as one. It became a phenomenon um, in the world, uh, the first of its kind. Nothing has ever been quite like that since. And one of the things that came out of that experience was uh, a debrief of how we created peace on earth for 86 days, how wherever the torch of peace went, all war stopped. How did that happen? Mm. How did a billion people witness a torch of peace being passed around the world? How did 45 leaders of the world say yes to such a venture? Yeah. And out of that, uh, we discerned there were seven strategies that enabled it to be successful. And out of that, I distilled those strategies into actions, seven actions, that I then built into a game. We call the game, Peace on Earth by 2030 game or the game that helps people go through those actions. Mm -hmm. They're in small teams or part of a global online community. The global online community, we just piloted that version. Um, and we finished it last Wednesday. We're starting another version in January. So 
this is something you could participate in and your listeners could participate yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and we've been piloting this for some four years now. We've had about a little over 5,500 people play the game across 13 countries and seven we call peace on earth zones where people are playing the game at community scale. Um, they took, I think, 36,000 actions. Those 36,000 actions have influenced some 9 million people uh, around the world. Mm. And we have now partnered with the African Union um, Environment, what's it called? Economic, Cultural, and Social Council, which really represents the African Union across the 55 countries to try to create peace on earth by 2030 in Africa. Wow. So they've signed on and we launched that event last week. Um, and we're really putting out a new idea. And I'm, I'm now practicing what I've been preaching, right? I've been all about the dream and the whole night. <laughs> bit so yeah and and so i'm learning by doing and my learning is that the world is ready for a bold audacious idea the world is ready for someone to say why not peace on earth why not 2030 here's how it can happen i have a track record and people are willing to give me a willing suspension of disbelief at least until they participate in the game and then when they participate in the game, they see its power, its transformational power, encoded with all the things we've been talking about. So it's empowerment-based game, empowers you and empowers everyone in your world that you engage with. So it's quite potent. And um, we're having an information, when is this podcast going to be broadcast, by the way? Probably in, in two or three weeks, uh, end, of, end of October. So if they go to peace2030.earth slash events, they can see when we have information meetings. Mm. They'll be at 12 o'clock Eastern time. So appropriate for European listeners that yeah. you might have. Um, I would say the biggest thing outside of the how is the shifting of a global collective belief system of disempowerment. This is our yeah. fate. This is what we do. We just go to war. Is, is that the biggest challenge you, you see, like, that too many people are not uh, using their, their power as a, as a true human being, and that they are more a victim? Or I would say I, uh, that is not quite the way I would frame it, yeah. I mean, in truth, that is always definitely the case. Mm. Most people do tend to operate in a victim place. Someone did it to me. They, they find someone to point a finger at, mm. companies yeah. or, or governments or religions or my karma or my something. Yeah. Um, so that that is just part of the human condition. But vis-a-vis -vis the issue that I'm raising, uh, the biggest thing I've seen is just people's never thought it was possible, never knew how, tended to operate pathologically, which is trying to be anti-war. You know, all the things I've talked about, right? So this is now a case study or sort of practical example of everything I've been describing. 
they tend to not have the imagination to think such a thing as possible. But when they hear about it, they find it quite intriguing. Maybe not believable, but intriguing. Mm. And, and then when they play the game, they come out the other end where they see these practices and they say, well, if enough of us did this, we actually could produce this. Yeah. So am I willing to tell others about this such that we can get more people involved? Yeah. Because I, ultimately, yeah. peace on earth comes out of um, the hearts and minds of people. Yeah. And you have to transform the hearts and minds of people. It's not a political thing. Political things come out of people, not the other way around. I love the idea of playing a game. Right. You know, it's, it makes us all... We all want to be a child again, you know, just just play and be care, uh, not having worry worry free and just you know just careless life, you know, just just play and 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 when we see children play on the street, we're so oh what what a life it is, and somewhere deep inside of us, we all want to go back a little bit to to that time that that we had no worries and that we were just taken care of, but most of us at least. So I love the idea of bringing the peace aspects with the playing with with the playing part it is not being a grown-up anymore you know where, with all our fixed beliefs and and where we have these um uh fixed thoughts and dogmas like you said earlier but just going back to this free spirit and we open we open the mind and just unlock all the potential the potentiality that there is beautiful absolutely absolutely yeah. Mm. Wow. So how do you see well how do you see a world that is a completely in peace? What is that for you? How do you see that? Well, there's seven actions and they yeah. represent also seven frequencies. So let me tell you the actions mm. and then let me represent the frequencies associated. This is the spiritual essence of the actions. Yeah. And then you'll begin to see what the world looks like. So First action is empowered. So individuals are empowered. They're taking a responsibility to create their lives and the world the way they want it. They're active change agents, not just around the issue of peace, but everything in their lives and everything in the world. So there's tremendous agency in the world. That's the first action and the first frequency and the first definition of what it looks like when we have arrived. And you know, you arrive person by person. So the game helps you get there. Uh, the second one is around the notion of oneness. Mm -hmm. And the action is befriending those who you would normally reject, someone who sees the world differently than you are politically or has a different ethnicity or religion. And that mm -hmm. action is to befriend that person, to reach out to that person. And... <laughs> Pretty scary, I can imagine, for... <laughs> when you have like an enemy or something or people you don't like and yes that's yeah. why it demands a lot and it yeah. and so people go to their growing edges and they start yeah. to do that they look at the people that they wouldn't normally talk to or that they might talk to but they pass by because they haven't given yeah. them enough importance yeah. um, so that's the action on oneness and it takes you to that place where you realize all these separations are not yeah. real They're just sort of what we've been programmed to operate from and or not known how to transform. 
So you go on a journey. I mean, this, these 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 actions are not for the faint of heart. That's why the oh. game is so powerful and transformative. The third action is on unity. And that action is around celebrating our common humanity. So it looks for things we have in common, mm. not what we have that separates us or divides us. And when you start to celebrate that which we have in common, you start discovering our common humanity. And so each of these actions is like a facet of a diamond yeah. and they build over time. So now you enter into unitive consciousness versus separation consciousness or division consciousness. And what, what is the difference between the, 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 the second one? I, I, I can imagine something, but I would like to hear it yeah, from you. The oneness subtle. and the unity. I mean, where oneness really is about transforming separation. Mm. Unity is about transforming division. So you can have someone who you are ideologically compatible with, um, but you don't like, or you've okay. had a yeah. problem with, or you can have someone who um, you feel very aligned with in terms of, you don't have any issues with them, but they represent a different political worldview than you. And so mm. there's vision by that political ideology or religion. So they're, they're, they show yeah, up in yeah. different ways. Yeah, thank you. So one is transforming separation consciousness into oneness consciousness. The third one is moving from division into the state of unity. Mm. Um, through celebrating that which we have in common, not which separate, not which divides us. The fourth action is on cooperation and cooperation meaning being able to work with others to create the common good. So we learn how to cooperate and we learn how to cooperate for the common good. So you have to figure mm -hmm. out what the common good is, whom would you, might you cooperate with to produce an outcome greater than your current ability by yourself. This was one of the key ideas behind the first Earth Run. We realized that the Earth Run was not about, as I mentioned, you know, um, protesting war or mm. anti-war. It was really learning how to cooperate with one another. We called it relaying fire around the world to light the spirit of cooperation. Interestingly enough, you're based in uh, Brussels, or not yeah. Brussels, but Belgium. And right after the Earth Run was just when they were having the conversations about the up-leveling of the European common market into the European Union. We had many, many people in Europe participate in the first Earth Run, and they used the analogy of how the world came together to encourage people. These are people advocating for the European Union as, as a, it can be done. We can get yeah. our divisions. We can cooperate for the common good. And I don't know if that was the winning argument, but it was certainly one of the arguments and, and a case study of what it looks like to bring the world together around a common vision of possibility. So cooperation is a core competency of being able to create peace on earth. And when we did the earth run, we had 1500 case studies. Everywhere we went, we honored three projects that where groups came together to cooperate for the common good. So we got really smart and intelligent around cooperation strategies, which seem the word cooperation is commonly used. I don't know that we use the word oneness that often or unity in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. Cooperation we do, we cooperate with that person, but people don't know how to do it. Mm 
So this one starts to teach people how to do that. And it has its growing edges as well. You know, what is the common good? How do I do that? And what am I transforming? And what I'm transforming is competition and, and that another way that we separate ourselves into yeah. being smaller, operating smaller, being afraid, not having the belief that there can be something greater if we come together. So that's the fourth action. And so, you know, we're now, I'm now describing the world. Oh, this world now cooperates. This is what peace centers looks like. There's a sense of unity. There's a sense of oneness. There's this empowerment. That is, we're building the new world mm. action by action. Peace on Earth is not some abstract idea. It has these unit of practices. The fifth one is on abundance. And it, particularly that action is helping support the peacemakers, those who are committing their lives to creating peace in the world. So those are the people who usually are perceived as the least fundable because mm. they, they can't make an argument that they're going to be able to produce the outcome, but they're yeah. doing it anyway. And so this is looking to fund the peacemakers and practice generosity and practice abundance, whether you have a lot of money or not. And it's also teaching you abundance consciousness. And abundance consciousness is essential in the new world. We have to trust this intelligent universe is full of, of everything we might possibly need or want. And then we don't operate with such scarcity in, in everything we do and operate with such fear. So it does many levels, this action on abundance, produces many outcomes, quite profound. So the world that we are going to be living in, what peace on earth looks like is a world where there's a lot of abundance and people operate from abundance consciousness. The sixth is love. And it's a very- Ah, that's a good one. It's a particular type of love. It's mm. what what the what the Greeks call agape love, and and what that means is selfless love, love of humanity, and so this is about praying for and visualizing peace and earth, which is the ultimate expression of love, is to praying for the well-being of humanity, and so this is an action where you create prayers for well for peace on earth, prayers for people in war zones, prayers for people who suffer from natural disasters. We're building an initiative called Legion of Light that complements the game, flows out of the game, um, which is really peace on earth by 2030 prayer circles where people come together to pray for and visualize peace on earth and peace on earth zones that it's practiced. Um, so that's a sixth action. And again, this is the world. I'm giving you the definition of what peace on earth looks like and feels like and the practices that are now part of it. And the seventh one is on faith. And this one is about the belief in humanity, the belief in our future, the belief in our capacity to create our future, and the willingness to engage others in such a journey. If I change, but no one else does, we can't get there. Am I willing to go out and invite others to create peace on earth. Mm. If I am, then I have to have faith that this could work. I have to have faith in, uh, in myself that I can tell such a story. I got an email this morning from someone who was describing her experience of this. And she said, well, I don't know. Do you guys have something called Girl Scout cookies in where you are, where the Girl Scouts sell these cookies at the door? Is that something that's common in your culture? Yeah, 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 yes, 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 we do, yeah. Yeah, so she had an analogy. She said, well, 
asking someone to believe in peace on earth and participate in it is is not like selling Girl Scouts cookies. She said, Girl Scout, I don't, I feel uncomfortable asking someone to buy Girl Scout cookies when I was a Girl Scout, but not this, because I believe in this so much. So she had the faith um, and she was willing to act on that. So that is the game. And that is the journey people go on. It is a peace intensive. It starts this January 17th. It goes through March 13th. They can go to that website I gave you yeah. earlier to register it. Go to so, information to learn more. What what I found it, it it is it is beautiful how you describe the seven and I, I like the number seven seven steps and seven actions that you would you say that a preliminary condition for participation is like you described with the lady the the faith and the utter belief that peace world peace is possible that you it can happen most people don't start there mm. they end there okay yeah they go on a journey and they go on the journey for many reasons they go on the journey because they want more peace in their lives mm. they go on the journey because they want to feel that they can have a meaningful purpose in life bigger than just a job and their family um, or just their religious service, you know, service to their community yeah. or their, their churches or whatever. They want to believe we can create a better world. They want to be part of a community that's doing such things. They come for different reasons. They come because a friend said, this was amazing and you should check it out. But then they have to go on the journey. There's no mm -hmm. shortcut. There's no shortcut to having that belief in that transformation. As I was saying with companies, you know, this is similar to like, instead of transforming a company, we're talking about humanity. Mm. Uh, so a very large body um, mm. and culture. And, and this is cultural transformation also. Yeah. You're transforming cultural belief systems that have been embedded in humanity mm. for millennium. Mm. I feel it's like it, it transcends also religion. Is that, do I understand it correct, correctly? Absolutely. It, it goes fact, far religion. beyond uh, religion and um, yeah, preset dogmas of, of, of churches and There's no and, dogma associated yeah. with this. There is um, the most foundational human aspiration. You know, if you ask people, what would they like the world to look like? Most people would say they want peace on earth. Yeah. I did not have to invent that as an idea. It's celebrated every Christmas, peace on earth and goodwill to humankind. Mm. Um, what I did and what I tend to do is to go and not reinvent the wheel, but get the wheel to work. That's kind of a lot of my work. So peace on earth is aspired to by humanity. It doesn't believe it's possible. It believes it's impossible. Okay, let me go there. Let's see what can be done. And that has been the journey I've been on for many decades and not just around that issue, but a number of issues also around climate uh, poverty. So when you start to work around the notion, uh, which I should speak to of second order change. So let, let me build a, a broader context in which mm. the game is oriented and the peace on earth by 2030 movement is oriented and my work is oriented as you alluded to social change 2.0, my book, in your introduction. So a, a short uh, version of 
the state of the world from a social change and social system point of view. So our world is a function of many social systems, how we organize civilization, mm -hmm. healthcare, education, political, and so on. Uh, when those social systems are stressed, as most of them are, yeah, they, are yeah. they tend to become unstable. They tend to perturbate or oscillate or gyrate and become unmoored from that which keeps them in place, which then causes them to break down and become dysfunctional or marginally functional. We're now going through a version of that in our U.S. political system where it's completely broken. You can't produce any outcomes. It isn't that far away from a lot of the other political systems. And similarly with a lot of our other systems. So um, when it becomes broken down and or marginally functional, it is no longer stable and nothing keeps it in place. So it can also break through to a higher level of performance mm -hmm. and social value, which is called second order change. The book I wrote, Social Change 2.0, is how to do second order change. And what I just shared with you is a second order change intervention. Yeah. Let, me let me explain the difference between first order change and second order change. Yes, please do. So first order change is trying to change through passing laws, so commanding people to change. Mm. Um, the second is trying to get people to change through paying them to change, so financial incentives or disincentives through tax policy. That's how people try to get change to happen. The third is uh, telling people that they should change, awareness campaigns, and hopefully if you tell someone what they should do, they will just do it. Unfortunately, hopefully. <laughs> um, and the fourth one is uh, protest and tell people they have to change or they blame them or they shame them. And when you have problems at the magnitude of these broken social systems, what I call second order change problems, where you have to transform a whole relationship to a global climate ecosystem and or war across the mm. planet or poverty, endemic poverty, or any number of these big issues, and you try to solve them with first order change tools, there's a huge disconnect. Yeah. However, if you try to solve them with a second order change tools, there's a greater connect. And so if you can't force people, pay people, tell people, or cajole people to change, what's left is to empower people to want to change, mm. get them to want to change voluntarily. How and then it comes from, from the inside, from intrinsic uh, motivation. Yes, yes, yes. How you do that is what we've been talking about. My book that you read yeah. is that process. So it's about a compelling vision of the possible and the tools to enable that. So everything that you learned in reading my empowerment book is exactly what we're doing at the scale of the planet with second order change problems. So the compelling vision of the possible immediately got your attention, peace on earth by 2030. It wasn't, you know, I didn't say let's get rid of war. That would not have gotten you that excited. Maybe yeah. it would have, but not the same as, wow, that's, tell me more. So that's a compelling vision of the possible. Yeah. And then the game, uh, and there's more than the game, there's also these peace on earth zones, which I haven't spoken about yet, where you play the game with many people and you start to transform communities, are the how. 
And then, you know, there's a lot more puzzle pieces, but you're building the agency and you're enabling this kind of transformation. So it comes right out of the more work we've done for some four decades now. Well, you know, David, it is, it is really, I'm, I'm thinking about the words to find here. You know, it's really amazing to see how a book of, I think it's 40 years old now, which goes on personal development and personal growth, personal transformation, and how you have worked through all these years to make it now as a global tool for change of, on, on, on a global level. And that is, for me, it shows how strongly you believe in change and how envisioning change and, envi and creating your future is not only possible for yourself, but possible for the whole world. And you are have been doing that for your whole life. And look at what, <laughs> which started probably with, with the book or with the Beatles and, and an insight. And now it ends up in world peace. By 2030. By 2030. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, it, it is amazing how you are the personification of what you have been practicing and doing all your life. It is, wow. Uh, truly... very admirable and um, yeah, not enough words to describe what, what you have been doing and what you're still doing and how you're still creating your dreams. Um, what make it uh, on a very collective level with unity, with oneness and with love. That's what I see and what I feel in your story as well. That there is a lot of love coming from the heart and um, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. What you're doing here. You're welcome. I mean, one of the things that is wonderful for me is that I wake up every day creating the new world. Some people look at the world and they say, oh, it's falling apart. Well, if that's part of the process. We have to deconstruct. Yeah. The world has to deconstruct its current systems because they're not functional. They're not highly performing if they're even functional at all. So that is the stage we're in as a species, deconstruction. But there's a simultaneous construction of the new, yeah. and that's the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm doing it in a number of issues beyond just the game and the Peace on Earth by 2030 movement. I'm doing it around climate. There's a whole comparable strategy around climate, a whole comparable strategy around transformation of poverty in the developing world and women's empowerment. And... Um, a comparable strategy around bringing new knowledge into the system mm -hmm. that enables change because right now people want to change they don't know how and they get very frustrated because they say here's where we are as a planet here's where we need to get to the current menu of options for how to change mm -hmm. things are very limited maybe technology will save us that doesn't look very hopeful maybe some good stuff will come out of that yeah. But that's the best people tend to think of yeah. when first go unconscious. So part of the other part of the plan is to bring the second order change knowledge mm -hmm. to the system. So people who want to create change have the knowledge and the tools. That's where my book, Social Change 2.0, mm -hmm. that deep drive into the how. The thought that came up, David, was like when you were talking about destruction and, and how things are falling apart now. Um, 
the image of a, a child that is playing on a beach and that just built a big castle, uh, a sand castle on the beach. And you know what happens? What they always do? They jump on it and they destroy it. And they do it with pleasure. They do it playfully. You know, they enjoy it. Oh, I'm breaking the castle down. I didn't realize that that's what child's, children do after they build their sand castle. That's cool. I didn't know that. And uh, that's at least that's what I did. And I've been, been seeing. Uh, but what happens then is that they they start over again. You know, they don't mind about the broken castle. It served them well. They enjoyed it. They played with it. And they're constructing a new one. So... I've, I see this also as an invitation of, okay, things are falling apart, but we can also look at it as a, from a playful way and an enjoyable way. Let's just change things and let's just look forward to some building something new. Because sometimes people, that's how, what I feel is like, oh, things are falling apart and they, well, that's good it's falling apart because something new is coming out of it. If we can build the new, and that's why this fourth yeah. part of the plan is really important. So we have something we call reinventing the planet. That's the name of the larger plan. Wow. And we call it a grand strategy to reinvent the planet. And it has these five levers. And I've told you peace on earth lever. I haven't told you the other four levers in any depth. I've just alluded to them. And the fifth lever I haven't talked about at all, which is the, the money lever. <clears throat> and the money lever is right now those that want to create change for the better are investing in first order change solutions to solve mm. secondary change problems. And they are frustrated by the lack of results or impact relative to the yeah. problem they're trying to solve. So part of our fifth lever is to um, reinvent the way money is invested. We call it doing good better so that we can get people who are investors to start investing in second order change solutions. So increasing their return on investment, social investment by being yeah. able to get better outcomes. And once people understand there is a whole other way to create change that they currently haven't been understanding and they're dissatisfied with the outcomes they're looking, they're getting, they open. So this is this trillions of dollars of poorly, shall we say, performing uh, social investments, and that and that's from governments, yeah. corporate social responsibility investments, philanthropists, mm -hmm. individual donors. So that's the fifth one: is to start bringing the capital yeah. and the knowledge into these high leverage transformational second order change interventions, like mm -hmm. the game. Mm. Wow. The, well, we're almost at the end of our podcast. I have the feeling we can talk for, for many times, oh, many hours more, but uh, maybe a last question. <clears throat> if in order to, to get to the world peace in 20, 2030, what is the first thing people can do now? The most important thing I would say I mean, you know, given my point of view is play the game. Play the game. Enjoy, enjoy learning how to become a person of peace in your life mm -hmm. and bring it into your community and all your networks. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's, the, that's a path mm -hmm. that's available yeah. and it'll transform you along the mm -hmm. way. And I'm very pleased and very happy that uh, with my podcast, I can bring your message into the world and hopefully many people in Belgium and Holland and all over the globe because it's an international podcast will play the game. 
And I would let's, love it. Let's and play we, it together. We, it up, we played it at a time that it will work. We used to play it at 8 o'clock New York time, but now it's 12 p.m. New York time, so, so 6 o'clock your time, so people can play the game. So we've designed this to get our European friends more engaged. So we look forward to that. Yeah. And hopefully many of you will choose to come and there are information meetings over the course of the fall. So just check them out on our website, yeah. peace2030.earth and go to the events page and stay on the overall page if you want to learn more about what this whole thing is. Great, looking forward to play the game. I, really I would, would have you as a player. Yes, you seem to be the kind of person it would be really fun to have be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like to play. I really do. I really do. David, I am really pleased and really honored uh, that I had you in my show. Uh, I really sincerely want to thank you for your valuable time. You have a very big mission uh, in your life. And I am really honored that I can contribute from my side to spreading your message and your beautiful project and um, this beautiful vision of world peace. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, you seem to be the kind of person it would be really fun to have be <laughs> later. <laughs> oh, I like to play. I really do. I really do. David, I am really pleased and really honored uh, that I had you in my show. Uh, I really sincerely want to thank you for your valuable time. You have a very big mission uh, in your life and I am really honored that I can contribute from my side to spreading your message and your beautiful project and um, this beautiful vision of world peace. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening to Studio Stain. If you want more inspiration, just go to my website studiostain.com or go to the Spotify website iTunes on Inspirational Leadership. You can also share this podcast with others who might benefit from listening to these inspirational talks. Thank you very much, great people.